Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in on this new episode of Speaking of the Art. My name is Mackenzie, and I am the Operations Manager at Epstein Fox Performances, and I will be your host for today's podcast. I am so excited to bring you guys a really special guest, critically acclaimed composer, band leader, and most importantly, tenor saxophonist, James Brandon Lewis. Um, we're gonna invite him into the conversation of everything music. Um, on today's episode though, we are specifically gonna touch on some topics about his musical history, his inspirations, molecular systematic music, and of course, his lovely new album, for Mahalia with love. So James, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank, thank you so much for having me. What, a, what an intro. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes when I hear that stuff, I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. I'm, I'm actually making use of my time on this planet. <laughs> Absolutely. You are making waves. That is right. for sure. Right. Um, for sure. So for my listeners, um, James is on the Epstein Fox performance roster. I know a little bit about him, but James, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Where did you grow up? When did you pick up the saxophone? You know, anything that oh, yeah. you think adds to your story? Oh, for sure. Um, well, I've been residing in uh, New York City for about 11, 11 years um, prior to that. I was uh, at the California Institute of the Arts uh, pursuing my master's degree, uh, where I got to study with Charlie Hayden, Wadada Leo Smith, Joe LaBarber, uh, Alfonso Johnson, so on and so forth. And then um, prior to that, I spent some time in um, Colorado, um, where my dad was living at the time, and um, was playing gospel music. And, and really, uh, he's a minister. and um, and then before that, I was in Washington, D.C. <laughs> so I've been traveling a bit, but um, I attended Howard University. Okay, um, great. Yeah, for my, uh, for my bachelor's. And uh, I'm originally from Buffalo, New York. Um, oh, James, I didn't New know that. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm from- I'm from Rochester. <laughs> oh, that's where my sister is born. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and I used, I lived there maybe, uh, I want to say maybe two years when I was a kid. Okay. Uh, but I was born in Buffalo. Um, and so, uh, wow, Rochester, yeah. I've, I used spent a lot of time there for various reasons, various church functions and different things back and forth between Buffalo and Rochester. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think uh, basically the journey of music started when I was nine. Um, my mom saw that I had an interest in music and uh, like most saxophonists, um, your first instrument uh, is the clarinet. You know, it's the, the progression of the clarinet. Um, and for whatever reason, I think it's more so to do with finger position. And then once you learn the clarinet, then you, you know, you move on to, uh, I moved on to the alto sax and so on and so forth. Went to Buffalo Academy for the visual and performing arts from fifth grade to 12th. And, and that's pretty much it. You know, my mom fostered an interest. I don't come from a musical family per se, but um, both my parents could definitely sing in tune. <laughs> and uh, so that helps. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's, you know, um, 
very proud of where I'm from, where I grew up, you know, home of uh, many musical, amazing musical acts, you know, uh, mm -hmm. current, current acts as well, you know, Griselda, shout out to them. Um, <laughs> but then you have uh, Grover Washington Jr., Annie DeFranco, um, the Google Dolls, um, uh, Joe Ford, uh, Junie Booth, the great bassist Junie Booth, um, Charles Gale, uh, avant-garde uh, legend, um, tenor saxophonist, as well as piano, as well as alto sax, the list goes on and on. So the fabric is there, you know, the fabric of, of, of me being exposed to many different genres at a young age. Um, it's a groove town, you know, I mean, we can find music. Music is around, you know, and when I was a kid, what's interesting enough is that I don't necessarily know if as kids, me and my friends, we knew we were making music. We, we didn't think about having to move somewhere for the music to happen. We, we, it was already happening. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember playing concerts at local churches and, and different venues in Buffalo since since forever when I was a kid. So it wasn't, um, but definitely uh, moving away uh, definitely challenged me in a different way and definitely exposed me to, uh, even though I don't view music through a competitive lens, you know, when you're young, you need to be challenged, you know, to get you out of your comfort zone. And, um, and that is, um, for me, I felt it helped me. So, right. So, so yeah. at what point did you um, identify yourself as an artist then? Well, you know, what's interesting is that, well, <laughs> that's an interesting question because to be honest with you, uh, I never really thought of myself as an artist per se. Okay. Um, I mean, I knew I wanted to, you know, when I was younger, it was, oh, I want to make it with my friends. Mm -hmm. I mean, I want to form a band with my friends. And really what transpired was, you know, the reality that you finish undergrad, my phone wasn't ringing off the hook. Knew I had to go back to the drawing board. I had to study, you know, and, and really, I'm in a place now in my life where I can tell young people and older people, anybody that will listen, humbly, this is a life's work. There is no, uh, you get to the height of technicality on your instrument and the doors just open up. Mm -hmm. No, I think, I think the landscape changed. You know, I graduated 2006. Okay. The landscape of music has changed from the inception of jazz and the idea of opportunities and waiting for this phone call to happen from this elder or from this big band or for this thing. You know, so it really shifted how you consume, you know, what is, how you consume music, number one, you know, uh -huh. um, with the internet, with YouTube. But then also, what did that mean for myself moving forward? Okay, so composing tunes, continuing to reach out to elders. I always kept that in my, my, in the forefront of my mind of keeping mentorship alive with whoever I was dealing with, but also um, 
when I started to perform in church solo uh, after undergrad, and I was performing in local big bands in Colorado and going to jazz clubs and different things like that. But that really gave me, it was life circumstance that really kind of propelled me into, okay, what is what does it mean to compose your own music? Um, what does it mean to, to, these were things that I wasn't really focused on in my undergrad. Undergrad, I was jazz performance. I was, you know, like studying uh, the saxophone you know, how to play standards, what chord scale relationships, all the normal things that everyone's been going through. And so eventually I got to a place where I'm playing hymns. I get curious about composing. Um, actually, when I reflect, I was composing when I was a little kid, but I, I wasn't thinking that I was really doing it. I was just like, oh, like writing lyrics and then writing my sister played instruments, you know, so I write a little bit for her and, you know, but I wasn't thinking about composing, you know. Um, okay. Then eventually, eventually I started playing at church, playing by myself, playing hymns and then thinking, oh, maybe I could do this. Maybe I, maybe, maybe there's something, maybe I have a voice in there somewhere. And then eventually um, I got to a point where I applied to CalArts for my master's degree and then that's when I felt like I could be an artist because the school, the way it was set up, encouraged composition and encouraged um, anything that you wanted to play, mm -hmm. you know, whether it was hymns, whether you want to arrange hymns, you want to play pop tunes, you want to play jazz, whatever you wanted to play, it fostered that. And then, and then I'm in ensemble. I'm in ensemble with Joe LaBarber, you know, last drummer to play with Bill Evans. I'm with... Alfonso Johnson in his ensemble playing original um, weather report scores and learning from him, you know, with his experience being in weather report. And, you know, so all of these, I'm playing in, in class with Charlie Hayden. We're playing together. Yeah. So, uh, so all of these experiences really, really made me realize, oh, okay, well, I think, I think I have a little to say. Mm -hmm. not a whole not a whole lot I don't need a whole lot I'm from Buffalo we don't need a whole lot to make it work <laughs> you know uh, it, I mean that's that's just you know it's the city itself kind of builds a certain kind of grit inside you a kind of work ethic you know this kind of uh, old industry town you know mm -hmm. the steel industry that you know that you know the cities are I have a lot of respect for the cities that surround those great lakes you know because it, it there's something about what once was, you know, um, America, you know, what America was, was about, you know, still industry, you know, the automotive industry, you know, so yeah, Absolutely. hope that answers your question. <laughs> it, it did. Thank you. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So branching off of that then, because, you know, you said you studied with uh, Charlie Hayden when you were at Cal Arts and um, right. he was one of your mentors. So what was what were some of the biggest influences from him? Like, what were your takeaways um, from studying with him? Well, you know, while I was at CalArts, you know, Charlie started the jazz program at CalArts. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, I was aware of Ornette, um, interacting with, with Charlie Hayden, with Dottie Smith, you know, the whole AACM school and, Chicago, you know, I was getting 
the full continuum with all of these professors. But I'm playing with Joe LaBarber. Yeah, we're talking about Bill Evans, but we're also going over, you know, he's telling me about Buddy Colette and, you know, um, another legend based on the West Coast. And um, so all of these experiences, Charlie would always come to class and talk about beauty mm. and the essence of beauty and what that, what that means. And, you know, in visual art, you know, they would call that like aesthetic, aesthetic, you know, what's the aesthetic? And what they're really referring to is what's beautiful, what's the essence of what beauty is. And I think Charlie would, would always encourage that by way of the intention that he played in class, telling us about his family, telling us about a hike he went on, like a lived experience, a living, you know, okay. it, it's, it's the whole idea of you can't, you can't play about love if you've never experienced it. Mm. You know, this this whole essence. And, and so I think about those things. And I loved CalArts in general because I got to be exposed to um, just in their library alone. Um, not only they have amazing faculty, but then, you know, I'm learning about um, uh, this whole just the whole history of Harry Parch and uh, learning about Charles Ives and and uh, James Tenney and you know and, and John Cage and then I'm you know it, it was just a full thing of people of free thinkers you know that I was exposed to and so to have Charlie there and to talk about Ornette Coleman and what that meant to him and what you know to, to hear to hear these stories be less about myths and more about what actually happened. Mm -hmm. You know, him going to Charlie, him going to Ornette's house and he said, he's describing the scene, there's sheet music everywhere. And, um, you know, that really inspired, you know, and he was so encouraging, you know, uh, very much encouraged us to really play with intention and to play with, with a certain beauty. And, and I don't think beauty means uh, perfection. I don't. I don't know if he meant that. Um, what I meant was, in my opinion, beauty as in reference to being honest with whatever your truth is. Mm -hmm. You know, to play with a certain sincerity, and a uh, and uh, that is truth telling. You know, as opposed to like, you know, just learning just to learn, and you don't really mean it. You're playing, but you don't really mean it because because you don't love it, mm -hmm. you know. And 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 um, so, anyways, yeah. Fantastic! Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I just am like sitting here picturing like everything you just described, walking mm -hmm. into like a, like a house filled with sheet music and everything. Right. And for me, that is beauty to me. Um, right. Surrounded by by everything music that is that is beautiful um right Definitely. so so are you a mentor now to some people or like how do you how do you see yourself now are well, you um I definitely am at a place it's interesting because I feel that I have encountered younger people reaching out to me um and you know I still have a lot left to say 
but <laughs> but but it's encouraging to be able to to just disseminate some things that maybe I feel like I may or may have not received when I was when I was when I was their age, you know, um, that might have been might have helped me realize myself sooner. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, the landscape, I mean, it's all up for grabs, you know, and I think what I try to tell younger people is, hey, you know, tell your story, but really tell it. Don't shortchange the story. Whatever your story is, you have to peel back the layers of your of your of your consciousness or your onion, as I like to say, which mm. has to do with which which has to do with being analytical, not oh, I know it all. That's not what I'm saying at all. Mm. I'm saying that if you have an idea, how much of that idea do you want to investigate? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's ultimately what that's ultimately why why we we dig. Coltrane, because Coltrane has the balance of the objectivity and subjectivity. It's not one or the other. It's it's, it's a balance. Mm -hmm. You know this whole idea of of um, you know it's what Ornette Ornette gave us. Ornette said, "Yes, there's melody, but become the melody. Become it. Uh, okay. Not not analyze it. Become it. Mm -hmm. You know." And so um, you can learn from these, which, which then gets into the whole idea of metaphysics and intuition. You know, um, one of my favorite uh, philosophers is Henry Bergson, who talks about the idea of intuition as being a real, a better way of knowing. Because when you're intuitive, you're not outside of the object. Because to be outside of it, you're just analyzing it to where you understand the mathematics of it. Mm -hmm. But if you're leaning on intuition, you're inside the object. Mm -hmm. You're becoming it. It's, it's, it. it's also why acting is a beautiful thing, too, because when someone's acting, they're, they're embodying. Right. It's less about, it's less about, it's kind of like, oh, I wonder how they are. No, you have to, you have to get in there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and musicians do that, too. You know, when they're transcribing, when I used to transcribe as a kid, you know, they say, oh, yeah, imitate whatever, you know, this whole, you know, a lot of these different teaching methods that people. But what I like to think about is when you're transcribing, you get to a, you get a sense of that emotional fabric in which this person is playing because it's not just the notes, mm -hmm. it's the articulation. It's the nuance. It's the it's the dynamic level. It's everything, and that's just one way of learning. That's not the ultimate way of learning, but that's just one way to get inside that intuitive sense of yourself and 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 get to, um, you know, get to that that place. So, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> that's 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 where I'm at. That's where I'm at in life right now. You know. Uh, thinking about these things on a, on a deeper level than just um, the mechanical side of things. I mean, I feel, I feel like that's, that stuff is important, but I, 
you know, it's at this point in my life, I have to ask myself, humble myself to say all the training and now grandma doesn't know what she's talking about. No, that's not it. Grandma actually knows more, but we get, we get more, you know, with, oh, we're trained. We know more. And then, you know, we have our, you know, uh, you know, our, our, our pronoun adjective agreements in place with sentence structure. And now grandma, she just knows what she's talking about, but she's not, no, that's not, that's not the right. The thing is, is that the more you, the, the more you know, the more you discover what you don't know. And so I think that that's where I'm at now with music is like, it's a lived experience. It's a philosophical mm. approach um, for me. That's, you know, I, I, Trust me, I study a fair amount, but I never lose sight of that folk nature, that organic nature, you know? Yeah, um, it's it, Yeah, it's important. Right. Um, so speaking of, you know, like the free jazz movement and everything, who are you, who are your, who are you influenced by? And do you take any of those influences and use them in your style or, you know, kind of create something new with it? Like, tell me a little bit about well, that. Well, you know, I definitely, you know, when, it, when, when we think about these categories, um, the categories are always interesting to me because um, I like to push against those categories often. Um, and most of the artists that I listen to, um, like for instance, we're talking about categories. <laughs> so over COVID, I was listening to tenor saxophonist Teddy Edwards, okay. who's from the from the West Coast. He was, I guess, quote unquote, bebop. Now, what's fascinating about Teddy Edwards is that I found an interview of him that he did in which instead of instead of calling chords chords he called them sound bodies and i thought wow that's amazing and he's like and so his approach is that when you reach when you're actually playing you just reach and grab a note out of these sound bodies that you actually like mm -hmm. so for me i'm influenced by the whole canyon um, but I definitely, you know, like right now, if you say, well, who are you listening to now? Well, today I was listening to Andrew Hill's first album. Okay. Over over COVID, I was listening to, which his first album is called So In Love. And uh, it's James, uh, no, Malachi Favors on bass, and then James uh, Singleton on on uh, drums and then over COVID I was also checking out Bill Barron you know uh, Kenny Barron's brother a great tenor saxophone player mm -hmm. one of my go-to albums is uh, an album he made called Motivation so you know I love the Dewey Redmonds I love John Coltrane's I love Sam Rivers you know I like uh, 
Frank Lowe, you know, this beautiful record he made called Black Beans that includes William Parker, who I've I've played with for the last 11 years. So I don't know. That's a hard question for me to answer because I literally spend time thinking of, of course, that's New York City traffic, folks. I spend time, I try to spend a fair amount of time with each, with each person that I, that inspires me, you know, um, it just depends on what, what the mood is. But what I like to think about is, you know, to discover people with their own systems of thinking, you know, to play with William Parker, um, to be able to call Henry Threadgill you know, a, a mentor and someone I can call and, and really, you know, the same thing with Wadada Leo Smith, alternative ways of thinking about music that ceases to be about uh, a separation, but more of a continuum of the possibilities of what can happen. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, it's no different than when I think about quote unquote classical music or you know, like I love Charles Ives, you know, I think, wow. But then I also over COVID, not even over COVID, I was listening to, um, recently I was listening to, gosh, I can't remember the saxophonist that I was listening to, but he was a classical saxophonist and he had these really interesting books on, on rhythm and music and harmony. Anyways, but it was outside of, I just love to learn, you know. I, I think the categories are cool, but then, you know, people subscribe certain ideologies to the categories that aren't necessarily true. Yeah. And so that's, so that ends up being a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I just, I just go with it, you know. I'll leave the judging for other people. Okay. You know, but but for me, I I I I, uh, I mean, if you would have met me when I was twenty, I was transcribing Dexter Gordon like every other twenty-year-old. Mm-hmm. But now I'm forty, and so my progression should look a little different than continuing to transcribe the same people that I've been transcribing or listening or thinking about music in the same way mm-hmm. since when I was in my twenties. Life is constantly moving. That's what I. Th- that's one thing I can say about Charlie Hayden. And all of the people that I just mentioned, they're constantly progressing, mm-hmm. you know, constantly moving and constantly dismantling uh, the notion of categories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you well, I, I think I feel like your new album, too, kind of also touches on the dismantling of categories, too, because you literally had to take, um, you know, these nine gospel songs um, right. and kind of like there was, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I cannot help but see maybe there was like a little bit of challenge there trying to figure out how to kind of turn it into like your sound and jazz. Um, So, I mean, if you want to go ahead and talk about that, that album. Oh, of course. Of course. Um, So, um, For Mahalia With Love uh, was introduced to her music by my grandmother. Um, so I look at it as as very much an extension of 
of conversations that I've had with my grandmother and not the first conversation I've had with my grandmother over the years. You know, I featured her on my recording Days of Freeman um, from 2015. And so I'm always throughout all of my albums having a conversation, having a conversation with my cultural uh, influences, having a conversation with showing generations, you know, this idea of talking to uh, the people before me, both alive and not. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, all, I'm constantly in dialogue, constantly in dialogue with my own identity when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to what it means to um, remember voice, remember her voice, my grandmother, and the continuation of that voice. And, and, and really, um, you know, I think, you know, when I have these projects, I'm thinking conceptually about a thing like, okay, what is it that I would like to reveal about myself via my music? Um, and so I feel like for Mahalia with love, finally, I reached a beautiful synthesis of my, my jazz training with growing up in the church, with playing hymns. could finally hear what the music should sound like mm-hmm. and um, finally felt secure in that. And so uh, definitely a challenge to play, to play any, um, a, a song that's meant to be sung. But I mean, how is that any different, different than any of the jazz tunes that were, that were sung, you know, instrumentally? I think it's mm-hmm. the same, same concept is that I listened to a fair amount of Mahalia Jackson, and I could have dug deeper into songs that were uh, maybe more obscure uh, that she sang, but I wanted to specifically reference songs that specifically I know my grandmother liked. You know, mm-hmm. this isn't about this isn't about oh now I'm playing the most obscure Mahalia because you know I'm trying to prove a point. No, I also thinking about my grandmother having a conversation with her mm-hmm. and so uh one more uh having a conversation with her and so in listening to Mahalia and learning about her life and um it was to have it's the same she sang with such the same intention that I experienced with Charlie Hayden or with any of the people that I just previously mentioned, she played with that same intention. And so I also wanted it to be a conversation, speaking of free jazz, but I wanted it to be a conversation that while I love Albert Eiler and I love John Coltrane and I love Gene Ammons and people, Hank Jones, people who have covered the spirituals, um, one contemporary person, uh, Angela Christie, you know, um, 
a woman saxophonist who was popular in the gospel world when I was growing up. Okay. And most people don't even know about. You mm -hmm. see, this is, but I wanted to have these conversations of, my thought process was, well, why not Mahalia Jackson? Why not cover someone? Why not also be in, you know, put the narrative out there that, you know, for me, the the whole notion of, um, when I think about my mom, I think about my grandmothers. I think about me being around strong women. I, for me, it's just natural, mm -hmm. I, you know. To to to, that was the next for me the progression. I've always had these, just you know, albums pointing to different things, but felt it was time. And felt it was time just because I'm getting older and my grandmother is, is getting older. And and I, you know, I, I treasure the time right now in this moment. You know, I don't take for granted these moments. And so um, definitely had to pay attention to her nuance, you know, to Mahalia Jackson's nuance. And I, it was, yeah, it was definitely a challenge. It was definitely a challenge. But, but also if you, if you know the lyrics, you memorize the lyrics, I sang a lot of these tunes, not all the tunes I could find that Mahalia sang, but most of them, okay. you know, like Swing Low, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot was just, I love that tune. Yeah. You know, so I gave myself good. some, I gave myself some leniency with, with being very strict on what song she did, but mm -hmm. I just like Swing Low, uh, Sweet Chariot. So yeah, no, thank you for the question. Really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, for our listeners, by the way, please go listen to this new album um from Ahelia with Love. You can get it on any streaming platform, I assume. I'm right. an Apple, Apple Music fan, so that's where I listen to this album. Um, but please go check it out. It's a beautiful album. The last subject that I, I wanted to touch on was um, molecular systematic music. Um, now, oh, yeah. that is really fascinating to me. I know some of the other agents in our office also talk about that too, and we're really right. curious about what it is. Um, can right. you tell us exactly what it is and, and how does this show up and, you know, in music in our life? Okay. Yeah. Um, so basically long story short, molecular systematic music, uh, really examines the role of creative encounter and how creative encounters and how that shows up as transformative uh, experiences via artistic DNA. Okay. So um, when you think about the idea of John Coltrane and the Love Supreme, his encounter, his initial encounter with God and a Love Supreme being a manifestation of that, or you think about Ralph Ellison 
and his book, Invisible Man, and the idea of using uh, the metaphor of invisibility to make a comment socially on blackness. Um, so my creative encounter happened via listening to some of my improvisations okay. years ago. And in my mind's eye, I could visualize, I visualized a, 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 a spiral. You know, I saw two notes oscillating back and forth in my mind and I began to map that and try to figure out, okay, what is that, you know, and, and stumbled on the double helix and the way that that um, kind of creatively put me in a headspace of thinking about notes differently, organizing structures differently, visual metaphor. I created my own molecule that is an idea generator. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so very sim very similar to, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's a lived it's also a lived experience. So I have, you know, people hear these terms and they get afraid. It's like when you say giant steps to jazz musicians. Oh my God! Everyone gets freaked out. Mm -hmm. No, it's just to unpack it in its simplest form is that molecular molecular systematic music is uh, very much metaphor metaphor, but also very literal in the sense of how I'm structuring uh, metaphor is the idea of seeing something in the context of another. Leonard Bernstein said that. Um, and so I think that viewing music and the way I'm structuring things in a, um, in a figurative way of, you know, this kind of like, the what are the basics of music? And then how do I use these intervallic structures to interact with the basics in my own unique way via, you know, the idea of, it's like if you sit, if you have a, a visual artist sit and do a still painting of something they're observing, well, that's what I'm doing. I have this molecule, I'm observing it. Then off of whatever that molecule is giving me, I create these compositions. And so that's what that's about. And I'm also working on that um you know I'm, I'm getting a doctorate in creativity um where i'm describing this you know as um you know molecular systematic music being you know basically i'm examining the role of creative encounter as a series of transformative experiences to shape artistic dna so that has a lot to do with you know the, and the list goes on and on and when you think about picasso and guernica you know, the, 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 the visual art piece he made after uh, Spanish-American War. And, you know, so all of these beautiful experiences. Um, I think that was Spanish-American War. Don't quote me on that. But, but anyways, um, so the, the idea of, of, of transformation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like when you think about Ornette Coleman and him acquiring an alto sax and him thinking that it was in the key of C, that moment there transformed him to come up with his own clef, his own relationships with multiple clefs and multiple, you know, and the homilotics and, you know, or uh, when you think about surrealism, all these great movements had a creative encounter that led to transformation. Mm. So that's, that's, so basically my creative encounter is the idea of metaphor being transformative. Okay. And that metaphor for me is using science 
as metaphor for music. I, you could tell I've been thinking about this a lot. <laughs> no, it's it's great. Um, I mean, yeah. you said you're currently getting your doctorate in um right. in creativity. Do- or- yeah, a doctorate of philosophy, a doctor of philosophy and creativity at the University of the Arts. Okay. It's a low risk. It's a low risk. So you know, let's get the let's get the let's get the performances happening. You know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just 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 to let you all know. This, this, you know, I'm not hanging up my performances for this. <laughs> it's oh, all no. one. It's all one experience. Um, but yeah, so I think, so that's what it is in a nutshell. Okay. Yeah. So do you, are you like still kind of developing this or like what, like what is, how are you doing it? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's constantly developing. I've, you know, I've won several different residencies. Um, I just came back from a residency called Ragdale in Lake Forest, Illinois. Prior to that, I was mm-hmm. at the uh, McDowell in, um, in New Hampshire uh, for five weeks. Uh, so it's, it's a work in progress. It's a life's work. And, um, you know, uh, God willing, if everything works itself out and, you know, the combination, you know, I have uh, two or three albums that I've made of music um, from these ideas um, and more music uh, to come, but also a book uh, in 2025 and and, um, and also more performances that use these. And also, you know, um, showing the, the graphics and the whole sis- system of how I'm using this. Um, because right now it, it's, it's interesting, you know, it's, it's I'm, the more I, uh, the more I discover about this, the system and really breaking free from what I would say is the residue of my training to get to reveal who I am to myself. It's like the idea of, I think about this story of Charlie Parker getting a symbol thrown at him mm-hmm. and how that act, that creative act in itself was maybe revealed itself to him. It, that experience I'm not talking about violence. I'm not talking about it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that act revealed something to him about himself. And maybe he's like the embodiment of, of uh, you know, this whole idea of uh, the birth of tragedy, Nietzsche, you know, Apollonian and Dionysian thought, the chaotic versus the, you know, the, sta- the, you know, the stable. And, you know, so it it's really bringing about different things and of how of how I want to continue to be and, and revealing certain things about myself because ultimately we use these we use this language all the time you can watch ESPN on any day any day of the week and ESPN is like well the DNA of this team well what are they talking about they're talking about ultimately they're talking about the structures mm-hmm. the structures of what are the characteristics that make this team what it is mm-hmm. you know and that's Ultimately, it's an examination of self. It's a self-portrait. It's a living self-portrait. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so where, because I'm also curious too, is there, yeah. where can we find out more about, you know, molecular, molecular systematic music? Do you have, I know you said you have, you had two read, albums that were based on. Yeah, I have, I have two albums. Um, um, well, actually three albums. There's Molecular there's code of being and then molecular systematic live, which is um, 
easily available on any of the streaming sites, as well as you can go to aerosmithpress.com, I believe, aerosmithpress.com. And I've written a couple of articles on these theories. Um, and they're very, they're very user-friendly. It's not anything that uh, folks can't grasp. Great. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much, James, for taking the time out of your day to yes. talk with me. And is there oh, anything you. that you want to leave with the listeners before uh, we, we log off? Yeah. Keep supporting music. Don't let the robots take over. <laughs> keep support keep supporting live music yes keep going <laughs> right. to shows concerts all of that um exactly if you are list interested in james's music obviously check him out on the streaming platforms he is also on our website epsteinfoxperformances.com of course he's of course. got some videos on there you can also uh there's a link to the downbeat article um that he was featured in so please right. go check it out um and yeah thank you so much james for awesome. thank you today. awesome thank you for having me